Jude chapter 1, verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I find it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people who have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, I want, you to, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within her own position of authority, their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness into the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which is likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example of undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject the authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's heir and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast, as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of outer darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes from ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him, these are the grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers, following their ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourself in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Father, we pray that you would train and fill your people up uh, with the power to contend for the faith.
We do pray, God, that as we look at your word, uh, that we would not be um, devoid of attention, that you would sharpen our minds, sharpen our hearts, that we would hear and learn. Uh, So, Father, we pray that you would take these difficult concepts and that you'd make them real to our hearts. We thank you again, Lord, for the great privilege of being called your people, the great privilege of being in a nation that allows us to worship free of persecution. So, Father, we pray that you would just bless the preaching and hearing of your holy word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So one of the reasons why I wanted you to read the entire chapter is we just went through 2 Peter, and 2 Peter sounds a lot like Jude. So if you've listened to Jude, if you've listened carefully to, as, as we walk through 2 Peter, it's almost the same theme. Uh, the, the idea of false teachers that have, have crept in and, and are, are, are driven in the church, that Jude directly attacks them. We don't exactly know who the, the audience that Jude is writing to, but we can bet that it's probably similar to the, to the audience of First and Second Peter, probably churches in Asia Minor. Uh, it's the, the reading of it almost sounds specifically to a specific congregation, where people who are in a specific church have kind of grown up and, and fall, started to teach falsely. Well, we're going to look at this under three ideas of faith. Uh, the first would be a called faith, a called faith. We go to verse chapter 1, verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Uh, Jude here is uh, most likely the, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus. Uh, we, we know from the, the New Testament that uh, Jesus probably had four brothers plus sisters. Uh, we know that Jesus was, was teaching one day, and it says that his mother and his brothers, and it actually mentions that their, their name, James being the first one, uh, Simon and Jude, and, and one that I cannot recall, forgive me, uh, that they said that we, we want to speak to, that Jesus is crazy. Says, who are my mother? Who are my brothers? But he who does the will of God. So at that moment, we know that both James and Jude did not believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. Well, we read throughout the book of Acts, the apostle James kind of stepped up to the scene. Uh, So James, the half-brother of Jesus, becomes a prominent figure in the early church. Um, And and Jude being his his brother. What we see here, it says that Jude is a servant of Christ Jesus and a brother of James. It's interesting that you would think that if if Jude was the half-brother of Jesus, he would say, Jude, the half-brother of Jesus. But it's interesting what Jude wants to do here. He wants to place himself as a servant under the authority of Jesus Christ. So he identifies himself as Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, when you see the word servant in the New Testament, the Greek word is doulos. It could be translated as slave or servant. It's the same meaning. Now, the idea of a servant is it's a gladly, I'm, I'm willingly submitting myself under that authority. Well, you could have the same attitude as a slave, but I think in our, in our modern context, the idea of a servant makes sense. We, he, he is submitting himself under Jesus Christ. And then he identifies he's the brother of James. He's connected to James rather than as a brother, not equal to Jesus, but underneath Jesus, yet equal with James, uh, his, his brother. Now, there are other options that you could guess why, who wrote this book, uh, in terms of other figures in, in, in the um, in the New Testament, uh, there was a Jude who was the son of James. Um, there are other options, but I do think that the most best the best option is Jude being the half brother of Jesus and the brother of James. Um, so what he's doing here is the recipients, as I said, is probably to Asia Minor, to to a specific church there. 
And here's what he, what he says to these church, to the audience. He says, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Now, when you see the word called in the New Testament, there's two distinct ways the idea of calling works. And, you know, what, what happens every Sunday here at Park Baptist Church and churches all across the, the nation and the world, pastors get up and they call people to repentance. It's the free call of the gospel. Right? We, we call people. Say, all people who are here under the hearing of my voice, if you want to believe in Christ, turn from your sins, repent, trust in Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. There's a call that goes forward, and there's a calling for the people to respond. You know, every time we hear the word of God, there is a calling for us to respond. Not just the non-believer, but the believer. Uh, the Bible specifically says, be careful how believers hear the word of God. One of the most dangerous places for a Christian to be is having the word of God going forth and having our heart being hard to it. We want to be ready and eager to hear the word of God as a, as a Christian. So the, the general call of the New Testament is this calling to the non-believer, to the, to the wayward believer, to repentance. And that's a free call. I, I think that there, there, we, we can easily go to any place in the world and call all to salvation. The gospel is very clear on that. Jesus says in John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, whoever believes in him. This is what I was trying to draw out this morning. When Jesus says in, in uh, Matthew 23, he says that, though they, that Jesus wants to gather them, wants to, to welcome them under his, his, his wings uh, like a hen. And he says, but you are not willing. But anyone who is willing, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone who says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord will be saved. So there's that call in the gospel. Okay, those, those people who have been called. So consider everyone here called. You have just been called to repentance in, in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's one way. The second way of called is being called by the Holy Spirit of God meaning a sovereign call of God that cannot be denied. I think that's what Peter or, or Jude means here. I think it's the sovereign call of God being drawn by the Holy Spirit to Jesus Christ. We see that several places throughout the Bible. Uh, probably most well-known is John 6. It says, when Jesus is lifted up, he will call all men to himself. When Jesus Christ calls by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can not avoid it. There is a conviction that rips our heart, that grips us, that calls us to Christ. The Bible says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God makes us alive in Christ. This is very important because when Jesus Christ calls a sinner to repentance, he takes our heart of stone and he gives us a heart of flesh. He changes us. So there's two, ten, the two ways the idea of called is in the Bible. Here, I think specifically, it's the call of God by the power of his Holy Spirit. Now, we know this on the other side of salvation. If we, before we make our decision to follow Jesus, we respond to the call. So we, we all know that great hymn of the faith, I have decided to follow Jesus. I think every single person can say that. I have decided to follow Jesus. But I do think, theologically, the only way that you have decided to follow Jesus is that Jesus gives you the desire to follow him. And I think that's what he's saying here. And here's why. Look at the, 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 the next two verses. 
Those participles, both beloved or loved in God the Father and kept, are two participles that, that modify this idea of being called. They help explain it for us. So one, it says they're loved in God the Father. We know this from 1 John. It says that we don't first love God. God first loves us. God pursues us. God reaches out to us. This is why what, what um, Rich and Adam and Angela sang is so powerful is that our sins are washed away. It's amazing because we were running the opposite direction from God. We were pursuing this world in, 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 in all sorts of ways, and God came and rescued us and brought us to himself. That, that's even for you kids who are here at church. God says he wants to save your heart. Now, God was gracious to you and gave you parents that, talk, that brought you to church. It's a gift. You should rejoice in that. You should, you should thank God every day that God gave you parents who love God. Because not all kids have that opportunity. But you still need to repent. You still need to turn from living for yourself and live for the Lord. And when that happens, you know you've been loved by God. You know you've been loved by God when your eyes are open to the glory of Jesus Christ. When you see Jesus for who he is. That he is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The eternal son of God who was born from a virgin. Lived a perfect life and died a sinner's death. Was dead and buried and was was raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of God. And one day he's coming back. When you believe that, you know you have been loved by God. That's really what the gospel is, is that God loved us when we were unlovable. Just think about that for a second. Who in your life do you feel is unlovable? You don't have to say their names out loud. (laughs) Um, But just think about that. We all have people in our life that are hard for us to love. Well, listen, you were once very hard to love, and God loved you anyway. I was talking to someone recently and I, I just told him, he says, I can't forgive this person. You know, in a counseling session, I said, I, you know, I, I just can't forgive this person. And I looked and I said, listen, you have been forgiven by God for all your sins when you did not deserve it. Therefore, you can forgive this person even though they don't deserve it. Forgiveness is a sign of love. So it says here that those who are called, those who have been called by the Holy Spirit, have been loved by God the Father. And then it says, kept for Jesus Christ. Now, the Greek translation here is difficult to understand. Some would say kept for Jesus Christ. If you have the NIV, it probably says kept by uh, Jesus Christ. But either way, the, the idea is the same, that you are kept safe until the day of salvation. Just think about this idea of, of both in Jude and in Second Peter, in First Peter, this calling to continue in the faith, to pursue Christ, to, to stay connected in Him. So we wake up every day and we read our Bibles and we pray and we, we actually get in our cars and we drive to church and we love our, our families. Well, those things that we are, we are called to do. And yet the Bible says that the only way that you can do that is because you are kept by God to do that. This is the idea of the eternal security of the believer. Now, you may, not everyone agrees with this, but here's what I would say. I would say from this text, those who are called are kept for Jesus Christ. Who does the keeping? It's not us. It's God. 
God does the keeping. So when God takes that which is dead and he makes it alive, God doesn't just kill it again. If you were dead and you've come alive in Christ, you are saved until the end. The good work that God began in you, he will carry on to completion. Think about how comforting that is. That your ability to walk and uh, trust God and your ability to be holy is not the main reason you are saved. The main reason you are saved is because God pursues you in love and will keep you to the end. The faith that you have is the faith that God gives you. And the faith that God gives will keep you until the end. That is a beautiful promise. So that we don't have to wake up every day thinking, I've got to do it. I've got to do it. I've got to do it. No, God has already done it for us. Just think about what Adam shared about his grandmother. You know, she, her mind is, is gone at this point. Um, she, she doesn't know what's going on, but she knows that song. That there's no one like Jesus. No, not one. In that moment, it wasn't her ability to trust in Jesus. It was Jesus keeping her. Jesus will keep all of us. If you are a believer in Christ, if you were once dead and now made alive in Christ, God will keep you. Isn't that a powerful promise? This is what Judy told me this morning, that, that your dad used to tell you, right, Judy? That God will never leave you nor forsake you. That we hold on to that promise that God will never leave you nor forsake you. That's what this verse says. If you have been called by the Holy Spirit of God, sovereignly by His grace, in love, He will keep you to the last day. That's the, the encouragement that this faith begins, this called faith. And then he says this in, in, in this greeting. He says, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. And as, as you see in this entire chapter of dealing with false teachers. And it sounded kind of harsh, didn't it? <laughs> you know, you're reading this, you're like, man, he's not really being really politically correct. He's not trying to, you know, soften the blow. He's using some very harsh language. Uh, Thomas Schreiner has been a, 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 uh, he's a scholar at Southern Seminary, uh, one of our uh, Southern Baptist seminaries. He has been a blessing to me as I've worked through First Peter, Second Peter, and Jude. I've really learned a lot from his teaching. This is what he writes about these, these three ideas of mercy, peace, and, and love. He says, Jude prayed for mercy because his readers would resist the opponents only by God's mercy and because they needed to experience God's mercy so they could extend the same to those captivated by false teachers. They needed peace because the interlopers caused division introduced strife and grumbling wherever they went, verses 10 and 16. They needed love because the intruders cared only for themselves and abused the very purpose of the love feast, verse 12. Jew prayed that mercy, peace, and love would be multiplied because an abundance of these qualities was needed at a stressful time in the church's life. He also prayed because he knew that only God could produce these virtues in the lives of his people. I think that is powerful. Right, let me read those last two lines. Jude prayed that mercy, peace, and love would be multiplied because an abundance of these qualities was needed at a stressful time in the church's life. That sounds like a prayer that we could pray, right? For mercy, peace, and love to abound in our congregation, to be, to be multiplied. And then he says that he also prayed because he knew that only God could produce these virtues in the lives of his people. You know, I think sometimes we, don't, we underestimate how powerful prayer is. 
When's the last time we prayed for those three things in the life of our church? For mercy, peace, and love. I pray that that would be multiplied in our congregation. Well, the second point, uh, this idea of a contended faith. We want to contend for the faith, which is really the whole purpose of the book. Look at verse 3. It says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I find it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. You know, as, as a pastor, there's things often that you'd want to talk about, and then there's things that you need to talk about. Okay? There's things that, you know, in, in a marriage that you'd want to deal with and that you'd want to discuss, but then there's things that you have to deal with and you have to discuss. As parents, there's things that you'd want to talk about, and then there's things that you feel that you need to talk about. That's really what Jude is saying here. Jude wants to write a letter to the church talking about their common faith and their common salvation in Christ. Just think about that. This is my aim. I want to write to you to encourage your hearts all about the the common faith and the joy that we have in Christ. That would have been an encouraging letter. You can imagine if you wrote that letter, think we've we've been redeemed by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have eternal glory awaiting for us. We have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. You can just almost imagine him writing it with a big smile on his face. But instead, he's writing this letter. And this letter is not a pleasant one to write. Because he's asked, he has to deal with those in the church who have drifted from the Lord. He says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. This is a letter that he did not want to write, but it's a letter that need, needed to be written. I feel this often as as a pastor. There's things that are happening in our world and among the the Christian evangelical community that we have to discuss, that we have to address. Um, Every uh, 3rd January, when I have to preach, that that, that I've chosen to preach on on abortion, preach against abortion and preach pro-life, that week is awful for me. And all my research thinking about... um, how many lives have been taken? Over 50 million. How many generations have been snuffed out? Who wants to talk about that? And yet, it needs to be said. Who wants to talk about sexuality in our day? It's not an enjoyable conversation, yet it needs to be discussed. There's things that we have to discuss in the life of the church. There's things that we can't shy away from. There's things that you can't shy away from talking in your homes to your children and can't shy away from talking to your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren because we live in a very dangerous time. You know, We have to engage people in, in ways and um, things that need to be discussed. And that's what Jude is saying here. He says... I I am appealing to you to contend for the faith. That's a fight. That's fighting language. We have to contend for the faith. Because, listen, you're either going to trust in Jesus or you're not. The Bible says there's two camps of people in the world. There's sheep and then there's goats. There's the children of God on the one hand. And John 8, there's the children of the devil on the other other hand. There is the righteous and then there is the wicked. 
The book of Proverbs points that out. We either are walking in the way of the just or walking in the way of, of folly. There's only two camps. So we, as a people, have to contend, have to fight for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. So how do we, as God's people, fight? Well, here's, here's a very simple way, is that we pray for, for seminaries. You know, I mean, one of the greatest things about being a Southern Baptist is that we have six amazing seminaries that are, are giving excellent instruction uh, to pastors coming out of seminary to teach and train another generation of, 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 of leaders. We have three institutions in South Carolina, Anderson University, North Green, Greenville, and, and, and uh, Charleston Southern, that are teaching uh, and molding young minds to think biblically, to contend for the faith. You have, you have folks like Devin who are going to secular universities like, like Winthrop. You have Baptist Collegiate Ministry, which we support, which is an arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. There are so many things that we are a part of just because we're Southern Baptists. You know, this past, the past two months, we gave 8% of our money to the Southern Baptist Convention. So when I'm, when I'm talking about seminaries, pastors being trained, you just trained pastors last, last month. You, you, you just helped college students hear the gospel last month. And we, we forget that. But listen, that is happening because we are Southern Baptists. We are cooperating together to do, to do more for the world. This is what's coming, happening in the, in the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. When we give to that, we are, are helping put people on the field in hard-to-reach places, in Cleveland, Ohio, in Seattle, Washington, in San Francisco, California, in Los Angeles. We are placing people there with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because we're Southern Baptists. It's, it's, it's a powerful thing. We forget that. And the, the challenge for a, the, the, the next generation of, of people in our denomination is, will we see the value in that? Because more and more young pastors, when I invite them to association meetings, when I try to talk to them about these issues, they're not interested. They're just not interested. Just think about how much we have done as Southern Baptists. We, we contend for the faith. Um, the best way we contend for the faith is to know the Word. You know, you're, you're the Sunday night crowd, so I don't have to convince you to know the Word, right? You're here Sunday morning, you're here Sunday night, but you're listening, you're attentive. That's a good thing. Praise God for that. You're, you're studying your Bibles at home. The more and more you're in the Word, the more way, ways you can contend for the faith. But you know that just knowing the Word yourself is not enough to fulfill this command. It's not enough just to know the word. You have to have to contend for the faith, which means, I'm going to say it, you have to talk to people about it. There I did. I said it. Bam! Okay? It's not enough just to fill ourselves with this knowledge. It's not enough for you to sit here week in and week out to be, to be fed and be encouraged. Your job right now is to be equipped to go and do the work of the ministry. 
What I'm doing right now, the time I spent in my study, the time I looked at the, at the Greek and tried to figure out, is it, is it kept for Christ or kept by Christ? What does it mean to be called? What I was doing right there was trying to, to be prepared to equip you so that you could go out into the world and contend for the faith once for all delivered for the saints. But you have to be able to share that with folks. It could be your mailman who drops by and you engage in a conversation with. It could be a new neighbor who, who, who moves in next door. It could be, be people coming over to your house to having theological conversations. There's so many different ways we can, we can do it. So this past week, I, it was St. Patrick's Day, and I, just, I was out to breakfast, and I said, Hey, ladies, the hostesses and waitresses, I says, do you know the story of St. Patrick? I'm like, well, no, I've kind of heard a little bit about what is it. And I said, you know, do you know St. Patrick was, was, was captured as a slave? He escaped. He found Jesus Christ. He believed that Jesus Christ was the only Savior of the world. He died on the cross for his sins and rose from the dead. And you know what he did? He went back to share the gospel to all the the, the pirates in Ireland and planted 300 churches because he believed in Jesus. Isn't that a great story? Now, I I didn't have a a time. They were working in a time to talk to him about, you know, what do you think about that? (laughs) You know? Uh, But I'm contending for the faith there. I'm dropping a nugget. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed, but that's a good day. You know how many times I could share with you to my shame where I had been ashamed, where I've kind of had that feeling in my gut that I should say something and I don't? Listen, we have to contend for the faith. God has entrusted you with the gospel, not just pastors, not just deacons, not just Sunday school teachers. He's entrusted all called Christians. All those who have been called, who have been loved by God, who have been kept in Christ, to go and contend for the faith. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for Bobby Schellenberger tomorrow when he goes to to school, as he contends for the faith. I want you to pray for Simeon when he goes to work, that he's going to contend for the faith. I want you to pray for our stay-at-home moms as they contend for the faith of our children. Right? I want you to contend. Pray for Ted and, and Ruth Carroll, who's going to have neighbors in their, in their garage sometime tomorrow, where he's going to contend for the faith. That happens week in and week out. And we have to be praying for each other as we contend for the faith. Pray for Devin as he's going to the prison tomorrow in Kershaw. And then he's going to go to, to, to Withers Campus on Tuesday and contend for the faith. Let's just do that together. And maybe one of the conversations we can have on, on, on a Sunday is, how did you contend for the faith this past week? How were your conversations? It, but it's, it's not even out there. Sometimes we're contending for the faith in our own hearts. Sometimes our affections get dull. And we don't feel like continuing. We get tired. And we don't want to continue to walk with Jesus. Maybe we want to walk with Jesus, but we don't want to walk with the church. Because what happens when you walk with the church? It's messy. People are messy. People hurt your feelings. Even, there's people right now that I know who have not come back to church because their feelings have been hurt. And you know what? They're wrong. They need to bear with one another. So he says, once and for all, delivered for the saints. This idea is this, the, the scriptures are done. The canon is complete. There is no new revelation on par with Holy Scripture. That's the idea of once and for all, delivered for the saints. 
Uh, so why do we have our Bible today? Well, we have our Bible today because there was a man, for several reasons, but the original canon of the Holy Scripture, there was a man named Marcion in the second century. And what he, what he taught, he taught that the God of the Old Testament was a God of wrath. And the God of the New Testament is a God of, of love. You know, he, he, he pitted them against each other. But we know that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament is the same God. They're both a God of love, and they're both a God of wrath. So what the church did is they got together and they said, what are our books? What are the books that the church already believes to be the Word of God? And they, and they, and they, and they, they put them together. These are the books that there is no dispute that everyone believes are God's Word. The, way, the reason why the early church did this was, one, it was either written by an apostle. So most, almost all the books in the New Testament are written by an apostle. Either they're written by an apostle or someone who is closely related to an apostle. Like Jude. Jude's not an apostle. We even know that from verse 17. He says that what you have heard from the apostles, he puts himself below the apostles. And yet he's connected to James the apostle. And he's connected to Jesus, of course. They are obviously all books that were accepted by the early church. And they're all books that had no contradiction in Scripture. So it wasn't, there's a lot of people that will say, Devin, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you're talking to someone on a college campus about the, the Bible, they'll say, well, that's a man-made Bible. Okay, how, can you, how do you know that those books are God's Word? It's a common objection that we hear all the time. Well, you can say that we know that these are God's words because the church has always believed that these were God's words. God didn't just, the, the man did not just create these. Right, so these are the ones we're going to decide on. These are not. They just kind of said, what are we already viewing as God's word? And they said, these are the final books. Now, there are some people today who claim that they have new revelation from God. They're usually on the TV. <laughs> Don't listen to them. They're wrong. The Bible says very clearly in Revelation, do not add or take away from this prophecy, from this book, or you will be accursed. Well, we see this idea of uh, the called faith, the contended faith, and just lastly, very briefly, this idea of a condemned faith. A condemned faith. Look at verse 4. The reason why that you must contend for the faith, this is verse 4, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. So it says that God, before Eternity passed. There were some who were going to sneak in and um, teach things that were against God's word. They were destined for this. And it said they, they crept in the church. There are people that you will, you will think have all the right answers. They will get into the body and then they start teaching things that are contrary to God's word. And what are they teaching here? These ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality. Meaning that they say that you can live any way you want and still be a Christian. How many times have we heard that in the church? In America. I mean, I was reading a book now and there's reference after reference after reference that says there are people who say the church needs to change its view on sexuality. If the church does not change its view on sexuality, the numbers are going to continue to drop. Well, apparently someone came into the church and they changed the view of sexuality here in the church that Jude was writing to. 
And when they did that, they, last line, deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. I was, I was listening to a talk recently, and it said that, um, you know, a kid goes off to college, and, uh, you know, they go off to college, they get influenced by certain uh, teachers, they come back to their home church, and they, they start talking to their pastor, and they say, well, pastor, um, you know, I'm starting to have doubts. And the pastor listens for a while, and, um, and then before he realizes it, the pastor finds the real root of the problem. The real root of the problem is not their belief. Their real problem is their morality. They don't want to change. They want to continue to live in sin. And I believe the greatest problem facing our churches in our evangelism is addressing the morality problem. People don't want Jesus because Jesus wants your life. Jesus wants everything. He's our only Lord and Master. And when we give our life to Jesus, we lose all allegiance to do things that we want to do. Jesus says, my way is best for you. Follow me. And yet we live in an over-sexualized nation that we need to confront with the gospel. Because there's going to be people who are growing up in the church, they're going to teach that that's okay. And guys, those are happening in churches that 20 years ago believed the Bible in this town. We're not talking in San Francisco or Seattle. We're talking in Rock Hill. Churches that once believed the Holy Scriptures, who taught from the, the God's Word, and now say that, yeah, you can, it's okay that you can you know, live with your boyfriend and girlfriend and not be married. That's okay. That's not a big deal. We, we, we just want you to come to our church. Oh, yeah, it's, it's okay if you want to bring your, you know, your same-sex partner here. We are welcoming and, and, and affirming. It's happening in churches all across the, the world, all across the states. And the Bible says is that idea is condemnable. Jesus is worth giving up all. Jesus washed away all your sins. When you were dead to the world, dead in your trespasses and sins, God pursued you in Christ. God loved you and will keep you to the end. Jesus Christ forgives all. He calls you blameless and holy and righteous. That's what Jesus Christ has done for you. Not only that, but he's given you the body of Christ. He's given you the church, new brothers, new sisters, new mothers, new fathers, that you will live with for all eternity. Jesus Christ is worth it. He is worth it. So when people dumb down the gospel, what they're basically saying is Jesus Christ is not worth it. Let it never happen here. We have been called to contend so that we will not be condemned. So I pray that we will. I pray that we will just walk and live up to our calling to contend for the faith once and for all delivered for the saints. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. God, I thank you so much for the great privilege to be called. Lord, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve to be called. And yet, in your mercy, you do. So, Father, God, I pray that this week you would help us contend for the faith. You would help all the people here go out into the world being equipped and built up in the faith. They can contend for the faith of the gospel. 
We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.